I wanted to let you guys know, I genuinely feel like forgiveness is one of those things that we have to master, that it's like one of those things that we have to get really good at if we're going to be a human being and if we're going to live a full life and a good story. Forgiveness is one of those things. It's one of those things that's like hard and, and if we're going to thrive in the world and if we're going to feel alive, I feel like we've got to get probably great at it, to be honest. And that's why we've taken four MTL nights to talk about it. Um, my printer wouldn't print, so I have to use this thing. I was so bummed. Up until this point, we've been talking about forgiveness from really one angle. Lots of angles, but simply one perspective. It's been from the advantage point of something's been done to me. And how can I forgive that person? How can I forgive that someone? From the perspective of needing to forgive another human being of whatever it is that they've done. So tonight we're going to approach it from another angle. So I want to begin by having you guys imagine the various equations and formulas that precede the act of forgiveness or unforgiveness. And I want to do it through these two people up here that I have my boys draw. So this is person A, and this is person B. You've got person A and person B. They look crazy, but that's all right. The equation usually is this. Person A does something to hurt person B. Forgiveness, unforgiveness. Or person B does something to person A. Forgiveness, unforgiveness. Then there's the crazy scenario. In the heat of the moment, something happens. Person A and person B do something to each other that hurts each other. Forgiveness, unforgiveness. Now, a while back, we talked about how things tend to escalate with like revenge and bitterness payback, that there's kind of this momentum to it. It's kind of throwing this ball back and forth and it gets bigger and bigger. I would tend to suggest that if person A does something to person B, person B probably does something back to person A. So every equation and every formula that I can think of almost ends up in the same scenario. And that's what we're going to talk about tonight, both sides of the equation in my opinion. Because a lot of times we tend tend to look at things from the angle of, I'm the victim in this one, and they need to ask me for forgiveness. I would tend to challenge you that if you find yourself in that scenario, you need to quickly assess and check and see if there wasn't some action flowing back and forth. If there wasn't two sides to that equation, and if you don't have some part to own in it somehow. I was hurt really, really bad um, in, in the past like year and a half, and, and I was talking with my parents about it. And my dad's a really good guy. I like him a lot. And uh, he just challenged me. He was like, look, if you're going to move forward, if you're going to have life, if you're going to have some kind of peace, check how it is you're feeling right now. You're pretty bitter. <laughs> you feel pretty crazy. You've said some things to me even. And so I contacted the, the people who I felt like owed me an apology. The people who I expected to be forgiving. And I met with them and I contacted them and I said, look, I need to sit down with you. And this was pretty fresh too. I'm not going back like 20 years. 
I wouldn't suggest that you do this if you've got that thing 20 years ago. You know, you call that, you call that stranger up now, and you're like, dude, we gotta meet because I gotta tell you something. I'm not, let's not, let's not go this. this is pretty fresh. So I, I meet with those people and I look at them and I sit across from the table and I swear to God, this is what I said. I need to ask you to forgive me. What for? Because they're probably feeling like, well, we did something. <laughs> Why are you asking me to forgive? Because like, I can't stand to even look at you right now. And I have been thinking really bad stuff about you. I wish I could hurt you. Like, and to be serious, like, I need to ask you to forgive me of that. This is the part that I need to own. I've said stuff to people. I have, like, I'm not making this forgiveness thing work. I'm actually holding it back. And I need to ask you to forgive me. I'm going to push you tonight to challenge you to think about both sides of the equation. If you're finding yourself in that place where, like, someone... You need to forgive somebody. I want you to check and see if there isn't some part of that equation that you can own. Some part that can free you up. Some part that can bring that kind of healing and bring that kind of life. So, to conclude our forgiveness talks, we're going to address what I'm calling both sides of the equation. The fact of the matter that most of the time, there's some portion for us to own. There's some part of the equation that's ours. And so forgiveness isn't just a story about who hurt me. It's also a story about how I hurt them. Again, regardless of who dealt the first blow, we're talking about the idea of being set free through forgiveness. Not placing blame, figuring out who did what, when, and all that kind of stuff. We're talking about being free, to live your life and to thrive. And like in, the cherry I, in that story I shared, I've personally discovered that I've got some work to do most of the time. No matter who struck who, no matter the outcome, in order to be set free, I have to own my part of forgiveness. And for some reason, doing that is really hard. Like, I just don't want to do it. And so I've got some stories to share with you. Over spring break, my family got to go on some rides at an amusement park. Some rides that are pretty intense, and they had like some serious drops and all that kind of stuff. And when you're going on the ride, you see the flash happen. And so after you finish the ride, and before you make your way now, because every ride exits into like a merchandise store now. <laughs> Have you figured this one out? It's crazy. It's like, hey, buy the thing from the ride and the t-shirt. Like, they dump you out at the exit in that store. But before you get to that store, you pass a bunch of screens, right? And those screens are displaying pictures from when the flashes occurred. At every ride and every screen, every person is doing something that demonstrates the core component of why it's hard to ask someone for forgiveness. Why it's hard to own your part of the equation. Every person runs up to the screen and they immediately look for their face. You participated in something, and it's your thing, and you know that it flashed when you were there. You put up to the screen, you're like, where am I, where am I? You hear everybody laughing and telling stuff and sharing experiences. I almost threw up, oh, I made my belly feel so weird. And they share stuff, but they're looking for themselves. And sure, they'll look for other people too, but the first thing they'll do is look for their face. Without fail, it's what happens. Now, 
the kind of core impulse and drive behind that is your ego. We're going to talk about that a little bit tonight. Because that's what's getting in the way when it's like, I can't own my part of the equation. I can't ask someone to forgive me. I can't do that right now. It's because you've got an ego and it's wounded, and it's bruised, and it's hurt. And that's seriously hard to let go of. Everybody has one, and you never leave home without it. Your ego. Now, one other fast story. In all the years of doing Sky, which is coming to an end for you very soon, 15, in all the years of doing Sky and directing it, we only kicked one kid out. It's pretty good work. It's pretty good statistic, considering some of the students. It's pretty good. You're talking, and now my patience is bled thin, you know? Like, I'm kicking my kids out of the house. Like, but, kicking one kid out of sky, and it was only for one night. We invited him back the next time. So, we were like, hey, I want to tell you the story, though, of what happened. So there was this kid who came here. It was his first night. This guy, and he came with some friends, and some friends had come with him. I'm not going to throw his name out there because none of y'all even know. And um, first night there, and so we're playing dodgeball. And this is back before we got the softer, nice dodgeballs. This is back when we had the playground rubber ones uh, in the building. It was in the original BCM building. And we're playing dodgeball. And this kid hurls a dodgeball across the room and hits a girl in the face. Now, this is middle school. We've got some middle school students in the room. Being hit in the face in front of all your friends is bad enough in middle school. That's enough to kind of make you like choke back some tears and kind of like leave the room and, and just, you gotta pull yourself together. For a middle school girl to hit in the face with a rubber dodgeball, like the end of the world, okay? And not to mention, immediately after, she began crying and she had a bloody nose. Like, it just, it was instant. Now, other leaders are running to her side to be with her and help her out. And I'm watching the brother, the guy who threw the ball. She immediately turns to his friends and he starts giving high fives. All right. Yeah. So, I go get this student and his friends, and I pull them out of the room, and I launch into one of my verbal assault talks that like lets them know that this is not okay, that this is not how you conduct yourself, this is not what Sky's about, this has nothing to do with inclusivity, it has nothing to do with caring, it has nothing to do with what we do here. The guy who threw the dodgeball laughed a few times while I was talking. He obviously didn't know that I hate that. When I'm like talking to you and I'm serious, I'm not gonna smile and I've got the look on and like don't laugh right now. You can't do it. Don't laugh. He laughed a couple times, I gave him this look. I couldn't stop. And then his friends were like, they were registering, they were clicking. I could see it. I'm, I'm a good pulse on that with people. I can read people a lot and know like if you're tracking with me or if you're not. And he was laughing at me a little bit. It was, he made it really clear that he was not going to apologize and he was not going to say he was sorry. And so I said, you know what? You are done tonight. Like, first time and only time. But, like, we'll see you later. 
and you're more than welcome to come back next week. You can come back next time, but not tonight. Not where your head is, not where you're at. And um, he managed to talk a couple of his friends into going. They looked pretty sad. They wanted to stay. But um, it was interesting to me because, like, this kid had an ego that wasn't going anywhere. Like, he wasn't going to apologize to anybody for anything he had done. And a lot of times when we are that puffed up and proud, it can get a little dangerous sometimes. We've got these egos that can blow up and it can, like, be a little dangerous. And it can be the one thing in the way of us being able to do what we need to do to make things right. Now, just like fear is this kind of natural impulse that you have that's protected you and it's gotten you to where you are, believe it or not. But you gotta keep it in check. Ego's the same thing. Ego's good. But you gotta keep it in check. Your ego is like a natural part of who you are. It's, it's helped define who you are. It fights for you to be unique and an individual and like to learn your preferences and to all of those things. But left unchecked, that ego, all at once is rewarded and rewarded and rewarded and it can never be touched. It can never be made small. It can be never made to feel little or less. The Buddhists, call an unchecked ego a hungry ghost. Forever famished, eternally howling with need and greed. And some version of that relentless presence lives, lives deep within us all. And so we need to identify it. We need to be aware of it. And one more thing, we need to be aware that we are more than our ego alone. We are also a soul. And there's tremendous depth to us. And this part of you that you could tap into that you would call your soul, it's not so easily bruised. And it doesn't want the same things that your ego does. In fact, it doesn't really care about some of the stuff that your ego craves and chases after and wants. And so you'll find yourself in situations where suddenly you're feeling something. I'm feeling rejected. I'm feeling threatened. I'm feeling heated. I'm feeling like I need to get revenge. I'm feeling like... I did something and I am not sorry for it. There are things that pop up in you and you might be able to step back and say, wait a second, what is that? Why am I feeling this way? What, what's going on? And you might be able to simply say, oh, that's just my ego. It's been bruised, it's been hurt. It's not my soul. It's nothing really deep. Like, let me check that really quick. Let me see what it is. Your bruised ego likes revenge. It wants revenge. It approves of it. <laughs> like, it's like, go for it. Go get it. Your ego needs revenge to save face and to avoid feeling small and little. So if you can recognize that and say, no, that's just my ego. But what does my soul want? That's a better question. I get what my ego wants. I feel it pretty quick. But what does my soul want? Because your soul doesn't really care about some of that stuff. It's been said that your soul only wants one thing. I think it's more, but a lot of people say your soul only wants wonder. But how do you break down wonder, right? I break down wonder into all these other classifications. It's like joy, <laughs> and peace, and wholeness. Like, I have all these better words that like break down into wonder. So when I think of that, and I think, oh, my soul wants wholeness, and it wants healing, and it wants like peace, and it wants truth, and it wants love, and it wants wonder. 
That's what it wants. So maybe you can pull back and maybe you can say, okay, I get what my ego wants now, but what does my soul want? My soul wants wonder, wholeness, healing, freedom. I'm going to take a step toward that. Then I might be able to check my ego, bring it back down, and actually own my part of the equation. Actually say, no, 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 no. I've got a part in this. That's what I was trying to do when my dad talked to me. And I was approaching those guys. And I was saying, you know what? I have a part in this. There's something that I can own. And I want what my soul needs, not what my ego needs right now. I get that I've been hurt, and I've been hurt bad. But my soul needs something more than that stuff over there. Because that stuff over there, like, never satisfies me. Like, it's just constantly, I can never get revenge enough. <laughs> In the end, like, I couldn't do enough to make me feel better about how I was hurt. I couldn't make sense of it. There's got to be a better way. I'm going to take a slightly different approach with this ego thing real quick. There's this ancient teaching that talks about two things. The first thing it talks about is a speck. Got one in my hand. It's actually a pretty big speck, actually. Like if this, like, yeah, if this made its way into my skin, into my eye, this, this thing would hurt. So this ancient teaching talks about a speck being in someone's eye. And how we can tend to find specks in other people's eyes. And then the ancient teaching goes on to say, but all the meanwhile, what you're finding these specks in other people's eyes. You have a plank in your own. So here's a plank. There's a speck. So this is the image I want you to get inside your mind right now. We're talking about someone who has impaired vision and who's walking around like this, waving this thing around. And we're identifying anything but what's right in front of us in us. It's the idea that like, again, I can't own my part of this. I might have a part in this, but I've got this issue, you know? And it could be my ego, or it could just be the fact that like, I can critique you better than I can critique myself. I can criticize you better than I can criticize me. And so, I don't know. We kind of approach forgiveness and the equation of forgiveness like, all right, I get it, it's not my fault. I've got nothing in my eye. I can see it right there in hers. <laughs> She's got a speck in her eye, and it's not my fault, it's totally hers. It's her fault all the way. It's comical. Because sometimes the biggest problem and the first step to take is ours. Even if you feel like it isn't. If you feel like it isn't, that could be your ego popping up. Someone always has to make the first move. And the equation almost always break down, breaks down to where both of these people have been hurt. It's so funny with forgiveness. Like it's rarely, it's rarely just one side hurting. It's almost always both sides. And someone has to take that first step. Someone has to say, all right, I think I might have something in my eye. 
you know? <laughs> like, all right, I think there's a part of this equation that I cannot. I have to ask what my soul needs to be nurtured and to thrive and to live. It doesn't need what my ego is chasing after. And I've got to check myself. Sometimes the biggest problem and the first step to take is ours, and we need to remove the plank from our eye, and until we do, we may not be able to see clearly. We may never heal, and forgiveness may never happen, keeping us hostage to our ego and locking us away from freedom and joy and wonder. It's crazy. So today, this thing shut off, but i got to get a post up here for you. Today, Ann sent me a link to... Um, Scythe. And this is the picture. I'm sorry I couldn't make it bigger. Uh, I'm going to read for you what it is. But that's cool. If you haven't seen it yet, I'm going to read it for you because it's pretty cool. Where is that? Here we go. All right. So, if none of you know what the Burning Man is, this sculpture was at the Burning Man. Burning Man is an annual festival that takes place in Black Rock City, located in the Black Rock Desert, Nevada. The event brings together a number of people from across the nation who are influenced by community, art, radical self-expression, <laughs> self-reliance, sharing, and something else. Uh, let's see here. One of the sculptures there is called Love, created by Alexander Milov from Odessa, Ukraine. The sculpture demonstrates a conflict between a man and a woman and ultimately an inner expression of human nature. The figures of the protagonists are made in the form of big metal cages with their inner selves trapped within the form of children who are holding out their hands through the grating. When nightfall comes, the children start to glow and shine, which represents a symbol of purity and sincerity that brings people together and gives a chance of making up when the dark time arrives. This guy says, I first came across this piece of free and equal where the administrator had some comments about it, which really resonated with me. Hopefully this gives you something to think about. One of the most powerful art pieces at Burning Man this year, the sculpture of two adults fighting backs to one another, yet the inner child in them both just wants to connect and love one another. Age has so many beautiful gifts, but one that I could live without is the pride and resentment we hold on to when we are in conflict with others. The forgiving, open, and free spirit of children is our true nature. And I know I'll be remembering this next time I'm feeling stubborn. It's a cool art piece speaking to the truth of what we're talking about here tonight in forgiveness. There's a part in you, that soul, that wants that even if your backs are to one another. And that's what we have to tap into. That's what we have to ask the question of. What does our soul need? Um, one more story. I've got so many stories tonight. I love it. I love telling stories. When I lived in Israel for a semester in Jerusalem and went to school over there, uh, me and a couple friends, we, we got the opportunity to go hiking at this place called Golan Heights. Now it's in, where is it? What? It's in this like crazy boundary battle. 
you never know when you go if you're going to be able to visit there or not. Because the boundary keeps changing and the Golan Heights shifts. And we were lucky enough to be there when we were able to access it. And so we go there and we sleep in this field and then we take one of the coolest hikes. And I will go to my grave saying it was the most beautiful, interesting, fun hike that I've ever done. You get up in there and you don't even have to hike up that far, but all of a sudden what you're doing is you're hiking from waterfall to waterfall to waterfall to waterfall to waterfall. And you have to like throw your bag over, you know, and like jump down and you, you swim a ton. You're just in and out of water the whole time. It's awesome. Near the end of it, we had perhaps the highest cliff jump I've ever done and of that trip. And it was crazy because you had to climb out across this kind of rock wall and just kind of hang there. And then there was like this little ledge you could go out on. It would fit one person and then you would jump. Three people had gone, and then my friend Josh McMullen was next. And Josh is standing out on this tiny little ledge. He was there for 18 minutes. <laughs> now, Josh is standing up there, and he's like, it's so high. <laughs> oh, I know I can do it. All right, all right, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Oh. And he just does this over and over and over again. So we're all like, all right, all right, Josh, all right, Josh. One, two, three. Oh. All right, count again, count again. And like, we're like, one, two, three. He's like, I can't do it. We're like, Josh, come on, man. You can do it. You can do it. He stood on the ledge for 18 minutes, and all he had to do was muster up enough courage to take one step. After that, Gravity would have done the rest. <laughs> like, he didn't have to do anything else but step off. Oh my God, do it! And we're just screaming at him, and we're trying to get him to do it, and he would step back. And then, it's so funny because he's out there, and he wants to do it, he can't do it, and he's trying, and we're nudging him, we're encouraging him, we're giving him all kinds of advice, which he probably hates. <laughs> but it's like, just do it, don't think about it. 18 minutes he stood there. Now, here's the problem I was the next guy in line. I'm over here in the rock wall. <laughs> Staring at how high it is. Psyching myself out the whole time. I'm never going to be able to do this. He can't do it. He's been up here for... <sighs> and I'm like, do it, Josh! You know? And then I'm thinking, I can't do it. Not now. Not now. And then finally, finally, man, Josh jumped. And it's so funny because we have it on video. And I didn't bring it. But we interviewed him afterwards. We're like, what was the deal? He's like, I don't know. It was just so high. And normally I can really do things, but I just couldn't do that. He points out there. It's so funny talking to him. So he jumps, and I'm telling myself over here the whole time, all right, just walk up there and just jump on. So walk straight up and just step off. That's what I'm going to do. It's my turn. Josh is gone. You know how when you're standing there, and then they're like, Phil, you can do it. I'm like, right. They're like, one. And I feel like time slowed down right after they said one. Time slowed down, and I'm like, here. It's one of those moments that they portray in movies. You know, you think about a ton of stuff, and it all happens. And I'm thinking, oh, I can do this. No, I can't. They get to two, and I'm like, ah, stop. Because honestly, I hate it when people count for me. I don't know if you're one of those people. I'm like, don't count for them. They'll go when they want to go. We'll leave them alone. But sometimes you need people to count. Or you're never going to move. It's not going to happen. 
And I told him, stop, stop, stop. I was like, all right. Count again, and I'm going to do it. And they're like, one, two, and I just stepped on you know, and I just went for it, and it was fun. And you fell, and you're laughing, and it's crazy. And, like, it's such a good time. I'm telling you that story because, like, I thought about it when I was thinking about forgiveness. And I don't know which person you are. I don't know where you're at in the whole process here. I don't know if you're, like, out on the ledge, <laughs> and you're ready to go, and all you honestly have to do is take one step and set it in motion. Could be the only thing you need to do is step But it's like terrifying and you're afraid and maybe your ego's not in check. You can't overcome something. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know if you're like me back on the wall and you've got some more steps to take. But honestly, here's the thing. Maybe you've seen other people never step off. And you've had something modeled for you that like, man, I never have to check my ego. I never have to see. I never have to, you know? Like, it just, that's, that's just kind of where it is for me. I'm not sure, like, where you are at in that whole process. But what I would encourage you to do is this. Just take a step. Whatever step it is, wherever you're at. It doesn't matter where you're at in the process. You have something that you can do, and you can take a step. And you can take a step toward what nurtures your soul what brings you life, what makes you whole, what sets you free, what brings joy. That's what you can do. And honestly, I'm gonna throw this one out there because I've got one of my boys in the room. Other eyes are watching you. If you've got kids, if you've got friends, if you've got family, if you have coworkers, other people are watching. They're over here on the rock wall. They might have their own issue. They're thinking, I can never take a step. And they're looking at you, and they're watching how you act and what you do and the stories you share and what this thing communicates. And so it's like, what are you teaching? What are you modeling? What are you putting out there for other people in the whole realm of forgiveness to you? Again, either way, either person you are, it's your move. Time to take some action. You can consider this tonight your counting squad. Here it is. One, two, three, right? And it's like, all right, you're up. It's your step. And again, you can step toward freedom, joy, and wonder. In conclusion tonight, we've got to be aware of our ego. You've got to chase after what your soul wants. You've got to do the hard work of what you need to own. And check if you've got some kind of plank in your eye. It's pretty obvious and pretty big and right there. But you're busy looking somewhere else. And finally, you've got to take some action. You've got to take some kind of a step. And it's not like we can tell you what step to take pretty different across the board with all the stories and context that you guys are in. So I want you to think for a moment. We started off by saying what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't, and then I had this segment where I said, and who is it? And I want to revisit that just for a moment tonight, because it felt like it was pretty powerful for me, so I just looked at the spec. It's so crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
Whose name can't you say without something happening inside? Like, what, what name is it that, like, when it crosses your lips, it's just like, man. Who's the person that everyone braces themselves around you when he or she is mentioned or when they appear? You're sitting down, and someone says the name, and everybody goes like this. <laughs> like, who's that person for you? Who can't you genuinely and honestly be happy for? Like, you can't cheer them on. It's almost like if something good were to happen to that person, you would be bummed. <laughs> right? Who's that person? Who's the person that's so close to the surface of your mind and heart that they continue to pop up consistently and regularly, but it's in a negative way. You know? Like, that story comes up again with them. That's the thing that you jump on, and it just pops up over and over again. Or finally, who do you wish you never met? Or that they never existed? Or that they weren't around? I, uh... I got addicted to the show. I wouldn't suggest you watch it necessarily. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to remember the title right now for the love of me. It's the British one, and there were only like six episodes. It was a very cool show about technology. And it, it was in the near future where people had like forgotten Google Glasses and actually LASIK surgery, a new version of it, was like inserting lenses into your eyes into which you were wired, you know, you were plugged in. And what's interesting about this was, you could approach life as if it were Facebook. I could block you so that when I see you, I don't see you. There was this whole episode about it, and it was very interesting because they were blocking each other. And I could unblock you, but you were just a blob now. You were a faceless blob in my real life. Yeah, you could mute them, too. There was this whole scene where these two, this, this couple was in an argument, she just muted them. <laughs> he's like standing there going like this. That would be hilarious. Yeah, it was like she couldn't hear anything. It was like over, you know? And punishment for convicts. This one guy near the end of the episode, he had to choose whether or not he was going to die or he could stay alive, but he would be universally so he never saw another face for the rest of his life. They had kind of eliminated with prison and jail and stuff. It was very interesting. But I bring that up because, again, who is it that, like, you wish didn't exist? Didn't exist? Who is it that you wish you could block, like, on Facebook, and you could just unfollow them, right? You didn't have to be around. I don't have to see this person. I don't have to kind of be in them. Is it a friend? your BFF? Is it a coach? Is it your spouse? Is it your ex? Is it a teacher? Family member? An acquaintance? Co-worker? I don't know who it is for you. Chances are good you have someone that you could probably forgive. Chances are also pretty good there's, an, there's someone in your life you could ask to forgive you. If you're living and breathing, chances are so tonight, if anybody came to mind, 
keep them in mind right now as we kind of close, and I'm going to give you the little promise or blessing or prayer. May forgiveness literally be the air that you breathe deep into the lungs of your soul. May it bring you life. May you learn to let shit go and to ditch keeping score and to begin a new forgiveness ritual or perhaps interrupt an unforgiveness ritual that you tend to practice. And may you own your part of the equation. Check your ego and take the next step. No matter how small, no matter what it is. One, two, three. Now go and refuse to let anyone rob you of joy and wonder because your soul needs it. Your soul desires it.